0: good morning everybody it is really good to see you here this morning my name is bill and i'm one of the pastors here at crossroads now, I don't know about you, but um, over the last couple of weeks, you may have hosted some family or maybe you went to visit family or if you're like our family, you did both and you might be just a little bit familyed out. That does happen, right? Well, I hope that as you came across the parking lot this morning and into this place that you felt like this is home. I hope maybe that you could sense the anticipation that we feel and have felt for being together this morning. So we are going to begin with a time of worship, and so I want to invite you to to stand up and we're gonna pray and, uh, and then spend some time worshiping our God together. Let's pray together. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much that you are the giver of every good gift. You give us the rain, you give us the things that we need day in and day out, and especially you are the one who sent Jesus Christ, your son, into this world. And to Jesus, we say to you, you are our king, we worship you, we bow before you. We thank you that you have promised that when we gather together like this, you are here with us. And so we say, come Lord Jesus, come.
1: Death could not hold you, the veil
2: get to learn a new song together this week. It's a song called All Hail King Jesus. Now, I started to think about that word king and how I feel like, man, we've lost some of what that word really carries. We don't have a king on earth, right? So we don't understand necessarily the power or the depth or the pageantry that used to go with this idea of a king. I was thinking about how like when you have a king, you are at the mercy of your king. If you have an evil king, you are at the mercy of an evil king. There's no checks and balances to a king, right? What he says goes. But how do you respond when you have a good king? How do you respond when your king knows your name? How do you respond when a king can pick you out of the crowd and know your story? How do you respond when you remember that your king humbled himself? that your king left his throne so that he could save you? How do you respond when you remember that your king died at the hands of his people so that he could save them? I think you respond with what this song sings. It goes just like this, all hail. All hail King Jesus. All hail the Lord. with me sing all hail King Jesus. a moment in your own words and your own prayer just to give him praise.
1: to sit in this point in history and seeing those words, seeing all hail King Jesus, all hail King Jesus. Scripture tells us that from the beginning of time, since the sin of Adam and Eve, through the promise given to Abraham, the law that was given to Moses, the words that came out of the prophet's mouth, all of those things were pointing to this savior that we worship today, the one that we say, all hail King Jesus. And it's so crazy to me how often I take that for granted, that I sit at a time where I can see the finished work of Jesus, where I can look back and remember that he died and that three days later, he rose again victorious over sin and the grave. And it's this Jesus that we see in the book of Hebrews, says he is the radiance of God's glory. It's him that is the exact representation of his being. He is the one who sustains all things by the power of his word. And not just that, it says that after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That means that he fully conquered our sin. He purified us of all of our sin, of all of our iniquity. And when it says that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, that means that there's victory, the work is finished. And so today we take communion we drink juice and we eat bread to remember, to thank him. And in that remembering and in that thankfulness, we trust the heart of the father and knowing that we can bring our sin, we can bring the things that we're struggling with, we can bring our questions and lay them at his feet. Trusting that his work is finished. So I'm gonna pray here in a moment and, After I'm done praying, you are free to take communion whenever you're ready. Let's pray together. Father, it is so good to be here together as a body of believers, being able to proclaim your goodness, proclaim the story, the story of our salvation. God, to be reminded that there is nothing that we can do to clean ourselves up. God, that we have only to look to the cross and see that the work is finished and to trust that we can bring these things that we struggle with, the sin that we're still struggling with and lay it at your feet and ask that your Holy Spirit would come, that we may be healed, that we would be transformed into your likeness. And so today we remember that sacrifice that bought us salvation that broke the curse. Father, we thank you. We thank you for being a good and loving God. It's in your name we pray.
3: As we continue this
1: time of just remembering, would you stand to your feet as we just sing this song of surrender back to him today. Let's sing these words, my life. by your work, God, nothing, nothing that we could do, nothing that we could earn, nothing that we can do to clean ourselves up. It is only by the finished work of your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated.
0: I love that reminder that we can put our hope in Jesus only because because he's made this sinner holy, and that is true for all of us as we prepare to move into a time of giving, I want to just once again say welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here, especially if you would describe yourself as new. We want to give you a special welcome. And if this is your first time with us, or maybe your first time back in a while, um, would you take one of the new here cards in front of you, fill that out, and here in a moment when the offering is passed, you can put that in. We would also love to invite you, when the service is over, to make your way across the atrium to our welcome center, where we have some uh, friends that would Love to uh, say hello to you and uh, give you a small gift, just in appreciation for you being with us this morning. Now, the Bible uses a number of um, metaphors to describe what giving is like. And one of them is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And there it says that giving is kind of like a farmer who sows and then reaps. And it says that, that when we sow generously or give generously, we'll also reap generously. Now, what is it that we reap? Well, the passage goes on to say that God takes what we give and he uses that to meet the needs of others. And we would say especially the need that they have to know that they have a King Jesus who loves them and who knows them by name. And so we pray that God takes what we give and that from that, the the seed would be scattered broadly so that the good news of Jesus would take root here in our community and around the world. But, uh, God's plan is also to make us into people who are loving and generous and who trust in him. And so the second thing that we reap is that God promises that he'll meet all of our needs so that we can continue to be generous. So there's a couple of ways that you can give. You can use the offering envelopes in front of you or text the word giving to 25827 or you can download our church's app called Crossroads now and you can use that to give um, anytime that's convenient for you. But uh, that passage goes on to say that with all of this sowing and reaping, the result is always that God gives thanks, or gets thanks. And so we're gonna give him our thanks right now together. And God, we thank you so much that you are the one who, um, that came up with this idea of generosity, that you are a giving God. You have given us so much. And we do ask that you would take what's given here this morning and uh, the result would be that there would be um, many, many more people who are able, out of love, to bow down before their King Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom
4: come, your will be done, here as it is in heaven. Here in our families, Here in our schools. Here in our workplaces. Here in our neighborhoods. Here in our city. Here in the life of every person. In February 2020, thousands of Christians from hundreds of churches will work together to pray for every person in the greater Evansville area by name every day for 30 days.
0: think for just a minute about uh, all the needs that exist uh, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, the places that work. What would it take to meet all of those needs in the life of every person in Evansville and the surrounding area? It's kind of an overwhelming question to think about, isn't it? but it's the belief that God has all the resources to transform every life that's behind Awaken Evansville, which is a month-long prayer effort uniting uh, hundreds of churches and thousands of believers in, uh, in praying for our community and our desire through this is that that people who have lived in Evansville for a long time would begin to sense that there is something different, that something is happening here, and that when people come in from the outside and move into this community, they would recognize that that something is, is amazing here, that God is on the move. And if you look back through all of history, every time there's been an extraordinary movement of God, it's been accompanied by extraordinary prayer of his people. And so we want to step into that, um, each one of us. So Awaken Evansville is not about some big blowout event that's going to take place downtown. What it's about is you, and it's about me, and where we live our day-to-day lives in our homes, in our cars, the places where we work, or go to school. And And so through Awaken Evansville, you'll have the opportunity to pray specifically by name for some of the people who live closest to you, your neighbors, the people across the street and next door. So, how do you participate? Very simple, a couple of things. First is you go to the link that's listed here in the, uh, in the bulletin, uh, um, blesseveryhome.com. There you put in your information, you choose Awaken Evansville as your association and Crossroads as, as your church, and through that you'll be given the names of some of your neighbors. And then you commit to praying for them every day through the month of February. The second thing is, just keep your eyes on our social media, Facebook and so on, where we'll be um, pushing out to you periodically this month and especially next month ways that you can um, that you can pray specifically for your neighbors, some devotional ideas, some prayer prompts. We believe that God is going to do great things through this. Someone once said that the first and second and third, things necessary to transform a city is prayer. <laughs> and so I want to encourage each one of us, brothers and sisters, to pray, pray, pray. So that's what's happening in our region. Let me tell you about a couple of things happening a little closer to home. Um, we've said a couple of times this morning that Crossroads is like a family, and sometimes a large family can be a little bit intimidating. And so I want to give you just a couple of simple steps that you can take um, to, to enter into the life of of this church. Um, Next weekend, we have two events. One is our membership class, and it's about a whole lot more than just how to become a member. It really tells you the story of Crossroads as we seek to be people who live and love like Jesus, and it will really invite you in to become a part of that story. Um, We also have another event, called Group Connect because we recognize that living and loving like Jesus is really hard to do when we're on our own. We need other people around us. We need a community within a community, a group of people that we can meet with uh, throughout the week so that we can that we can grow as followers of Jesus. And the goal of Group Connect is that you would find a small group and then be able to participate in that. The information that you need for both of those events is in the bulletin, including where to go on our website to register for those. Our membership class, we actually have three Three options so you can attend the service that is most comfortable for you and still participate in that so excited about those things right now our lead pastor Phil is going to bring a sermon which is our second sermon in this first series as we walk through the book of John here in 2020 called enter Jesus
4: happy new year i hope 2020 is off to a good start for you and uh before we begin today i just wanted to give a little family celebration in december we set a goal for our year-end offering and uh, the goal was eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars and i'll be honest i'll just make a confession i was me of little faith like that felt like a really big number especially being fairly new to the crossroads family but uh, not too big for God and not too big for generous people like you. And so I just want to celebrate today that we exceeded that giving goal and we've received $862,673 for the year in offering. So if you just say yay God on that? Wow, that's incredible. So just want to thank God and also thank you for your generosity. I thought it might be fun to kick off this uh, this morning with a little informal survey. So I'm gonna make a statement and if that's true for you, I want you just to raise your hand, make sense? All right, so here's the first one. Raise your hand if your Christmas decorations are still out at your house. Still have your house decorated for Christmas, all right. Keep your hand up if you still have the lights turned on, all right? That's a big confession, all right? I see your hand over there, a couple there, okay. All right, you can put your hands down. Next statement, uh, raise your hand if you made a New Year's resolution this year. You set yourself a goal for 2020, all right? Keep your hand up if you've already quit it or you've already stopped it. You gave up on it already. There you are 12 days in, okay. All right, you can put your hands down. Raise your hand if you watched a college football bowl game. Uh, anybody out there? Okay. Keep your hand up if your favorite team actually won their bowl game. All right. I see you Kentucky fans out there. Yes, that's good. All right. Uh, one last one. If you went to see a movie sometime between Christmas and New Year's at the theater, raise your hand. Moviegoers out there? Yeah, there's a large group of people. All right. Keep your hand up if you saw It's a, a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Mr. Rogers story. All right. Keep your hand up if you saw Little Women. Anybody see Little Women out there? Okay. Uh, Finally, raise your hand if you saw Star Wars. Oh yeah, okay, I figured that might, all right. Well, thanks for participating. Uh, You know, I'm not much of a movie buff. I love popcorn. And I love spending time with my wife. And so you put those together and it means we go to the theater quite a bit. And I usually let her choose the movie we're going to, all right? So I saw the first original three Star Wars, but I've not really kept up with them very much over the past 20 years, right? Uh, last Sunday night, the Golden Globes were on and I didn't sit and watch it, but it was on the TV. And like, uh, I couldn't recognize many of the movies that were nominated or even those that won awards. And I also want you to know, I didn't agree with a lot of the political or opinions expressed during that award show. It just kind of made me sick. And maybe that has something to do with not being much of a movie goer. But anyway, even though I've not stayed up with uh, Star Wars that much, I do love that iconic opening to every Star Wars movie. If you've seen one, you've, it's in all of them. It starts with the Star Wars logo in the center of the screen that kind of disappears into space. And then it's followed with those famous words, a long time ago in a galaxy. Yeah, you've seen it, okay, right, yeah. And and that statement then leads to some other text that comes up on the screen. And it starts to kind of move from the bottom of the screen to the top of the screen. And in that text, it sets up the theme for that movie. It kind of provides the context of the story that's going to get ready to play out on the screen. It's one of the most immediately recognizable elements of the entire franchise. And it's also been uh, parodied quite a bit. Today we're picking up in the text of John 1, starting with the very first verse. John 1, and we're going to look for the first 18 verses. As we can start this journey, a year-long journey of how to live and love like Jesus. Jeremy Locke did a great job last week kicking off this whole journey and really setting a powerful foundation for us to build upon every single week. You know, I hope what you found out last week is Jeremy's more than just a music guy, Right? I love being part of a team that has such quality teachers. I mean, Jeremy, Matt Volkman, the week before, uh, Andrew and Ross. I mean, it's awesome to partner with those guys and to teach God's word. I love uh, hanging out behind the scenes with them as much as even just here on stage. I won't make you raise your hand, but how many of you read through or listened to the gospel of John this past week, the entire gospel? I see that hand. Thank you for doing that. A lady stopped me at the nine o'clock service and said she had watched the gospel of John. And I needed to ask a few more questions. She actually purchased a video that she could watch the entire gospel. It took her three hours and she watched it multiple times throughout the week. So I don't care how you did it, okay? Just do it. Just get the journey of, of where we're gonna be this entire year. Like I said, today, we're gonna start with John 1, one through 18. and it been labeled a prologue. And so I thought it might be fun to check out the words of John 1, 1 through 18 in this way. So check it out on the screen. some very powerful words aren't they for sure yeah. if you want to grab a copy of the bible if you brought your own or you can use one in the seat back in front of you why don't you turn with me to john chapter 1 uh, beginning verse 1 you know matthew mark luke and john all start their account of jesus life with some historical uh, foundation matthew starts with the genealogy of jesus and and he wants to connect jesus to abraham and also to david Mark starts with the teachings of John the Baptist and Luke, he dedicates his account to Theophilus, but then immediately starts sharing the prophecies about Jesus, uh, followed quickly by the account, the birth account of his life. John starts his gospel with this theological prologue that we just looked at. It's a powerful declaration of the deity of Jesus. It parallels some of the strong Christological statements found in the New Testament, especially those written by Paul, like Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11, or Colossians 1, 15 through 23. John's prologue, it draws the reader in, and it begins to unpack some major themes of his entire gospel. He introduces, as well as summarizes, Jesus' life and his work. It's as if John is saying this, I want you to pay attention to Jesus' teachings and deeds, but you'll not understand the good news of Jesus in its fullest sense unless you first see him from this point of view, that Jesus is God, manifest in the flesh, and his words and deeds are those of the God-man. You know, what follows the prologue is not just some fiction story made up by Hollywood, but it's actual real life events of this historical man named Jesus who was a human yet fully God. And John is clarifying as well as declaring this from the very beginning. In this opening prologue, John presents several major themes that will be threaded throughout his entire gospel. And these are also major proofs that Jesus is God. And they stand as as an opportunity for us to make a decision. Are we going to believe in who Jesus truly is? If you brought your journal with you this weekend, I would encourage you to take it out. And I'm going to ask you to write down these major themes as we go through them this morning, because they'll serve as a great foundation, kind of a skeleton for us, as we unpack the rest of John throughout the rest of this year. And so here's the first theme you want to write down, the theme of word, W-O-R-D. This is what John says in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In the very beginning, John says in the beginning. And it's not just a a reference to creation, but really the reference of Jesus's presence and participation in creation. John is saying that Jesus is before all things and he also is the source of all things. John speaks of Jesus being eternal and also being God. This is another one of those moments in Scripture where we see God the Father and God the Son existing at the same time. we're going to see them as coupled throughout the whole gospel of John. And we'll also see them accompanied by the Holy Spirit many, many times. Just as in Genesis, where God spoke creation into existence, God is now speaking salvation into existence. The original word, translated word, is the word Logos. And it refers to more than just a language, but it's more of a philosophical concept, both for Jews and for Greeks. It was a loaded term. There was a lot of debate around this word, much like there uh, is debate around like human rights or, or equal rights. Logos referred to meaning and purpose in life. And it sought to answer this age old question. What is the meaning of life? What am I living for? What's life all about? John deliberately chooses this word logos because he is saying that Jesus always has been and still is the one who brings meaning and purpose to life. John knew exactly what he was doing when he chose the word logos. You know, I've found that car repair and home repair is all about having the right tool. Like we moved here and we bought a house and we made the decision to change out all the faucets in our house. There were you know four or six faucets that we wanted to replace the gold one and, and put some brass, brush nickel ones. And so I've changed a few faucets in my day, but I've never had the right tool, which means I end up with bloody knuckles and tempted to say words that preachers shouldn't say, if you know what I mean, all right? So before I started changing any faucets in this house, I went over to a local hardware store and I bought a tool that's designed exactly to replace faucets. And I got pretty good at it. In fact, if this preacher thing doesn't work out, I'm thinking of maybe becoming a plumber. I've got the right tool now, but I only have one skill and that's faucet replacement. So if you need a faucet replaced, come see me, I'm your man. I've also figured out how to replace brake pads and rotors. Again, it's all about having the right tool. Here's my point. If you're looking for purpose and meaning in any other thing except Jesus, you've got the wrong tool. Jesus is the only thing that brings true meaning and purpose in life. And if you go looking for it in other places, I think you'll find yourself frustrated, even worn out, empty, tempted to say words you shouldn't. In fact, you'll find yourself lifeless and and even dead on the inside. Jesus is the only thing that brings meaning to life, but he's not just the rationale for life. He's also the authority of life. I'm not much of a reader. I've set myself a very lofty goal for 2020, and that is to read at least one book every month. Now, for some of you, you might kick out a book like per day or per week, but for me, 12 books feels like a a God-sized goal, right? My disdain for reading started in the eighth grade. My teacher every day in the eighth grade in literature class would have assigned us a poem or book to read, of which I didn't. And then when I showed up for class, the whole class period was asked one question. What do you think the author, or what do you think this means? Well, it would seem like a futile exercise for me because the only person who knows what the poem means or what the book is intended to mean is the author himself or herself. I want you to know that Jesus is the author of life. When John says he's the word, it means that he is the the sole authority in life. Logos is more than just a philosophical term. It's a personal term because it represents a person. It's not any less an absolute uh, truth or an absolute guide, but it's infinitely more. John says the word became flesh. And John uses the entire gospel to describe the life of Jesus because it describes the heart of God. Eugene Peterson says this, Jesus doesn't impose salvation as a solution. He narrates salvation into being through leisurely conversation, intimate personal relationships, compassionate responses, passionate prayer, and a sacrificial death. And we don't casually walk away from words like that. Jesus is the word made flesh. Second of all, Jesus is life. John speaks of life being found in Jesus over 36 times in his gospel. Look what it says in John chapter one, verse four. He says in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Light uh, and and life are these themes that that John speaks of. And life uh, uh, is a statement like this in John 5, verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. As we learned last week, life means much more than just physical life, but it's, it's talking more of spiritual life or eternal life. And that's why Jesus says in John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. Some other translations have said life to the fullest or life abundantly. It speaks of excess or overflow or surplus. Jesus gives life that's more than just ordinary life. Verse 16 of chapter 1, John says this, that through the fullness of his grace, we've received blessing after blessing after blessing. And I think that's representative of this life to the full that Jesus comes to bring us. True life is found only in Jesus. He is true life. And that's why he states, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life in John 14, 6. John, the person who wrote this gospel, actually wrote four books in the entire New Testament. John and first, second, and third John. Listen what first John chapter five, verse 12 says about this idea. It says this, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. The third theme that John presents is is this idea of light. John says, light has shined in the darkness. That phrase is identical to the phrase that the word has become flesh. This concept is that what came into existence was life. And it was also this light to, to live by, to be guided by. The concept of light and life are recorded all throughout Scripture, especially in the Gospel of John. They go together from the very beginning in Genesis. Just as life finds its origin in Jesus, this light that comes from Jesus provides a standard and principles and power and purpose by which we can live. Without light and life, without either of those, we perish. In these opening words, John begins a contrast between light and darkness. That isn't just an idea that was created by George Lucas for a movie. I mean, light in the Bible has always meant to represent God and the things of God. Darkness is always associated with death and sin and disobedience, rejection of and separation from God. I mean, those are very scary realities. But John says this. Be, be comforted because the light has never been overcome by the darkness. Light is powerful. My brother used light and a magnifying glass to burn a hole in all kinds of things when we were younger. I mean, if you've ever had surgery by laser, you know the power of light. Or have you ever been on one of those cave tours where they take you into the deepest part of the cave and they turn out all the lights and then they light a match? Isn't it amazing how just a small one match can bring light to the darkness around? John chapter 1, 9 says this, Jesus is true light and he brings light to every person and that light changes us. It overcomes the darkness in us. He echoes that same theme when he writes in his first epistle, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. John says this, this is the message that we've heard from him and we declare to you. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Light continually confronts the darkness of sin and requires a a decision from us which determines our eternal destiny. When Jesus claims to be the light of the world, we find in him direction. We find hope and we find purification. The next verses, verses 10 through 14, are some of the most strongest, deepest theological, most meaningful verses in all of scripture because they sum up the gospel very quickly. They say the gospel is this, God came to us. The message translation says it this way. God moved into our neighborhood. Tim Keller says this, God punched a hole in the roof of the world and he climbed in. Since we've moved here, we have received lots of guests from up north. A lot of our friends have wanted to come and see if we actually did get a job here and it's actually working out, I think. So they kind of want to make sure like we just didn't make this up, right? And it's been fun to reconnect with them. It's also been fun to introduce them to Crossroads and, and to our friends and family here. And one couple that visited us, Paul and Jen, they were actually moving their son to USI as a freshman. And uh, they were going to spend the night, so they decided to uh, make campground reservations to spend the night. When they got here and they visited the campground, it was a little janky. And so they decided we probably shouldn't stay there. And they asked, would it be okay if we pitched a tent in your backyard? And we said, sure, that'd be great. Well, because they were sleeping in our backyard, what that meant is they needed to use our bathroom. They needed to uh, sit around our table. You know, We had to welcome them in, into our home as well, which was great. They've actually come back and camped a couple times since then, please do not tell our HOA, okay? It's probably against the rules. But I thought about that when I heard how John Piper describes the gospel. He says, the gospel is like God pitching a tent in your backyard. He says he does that because he wants to be close to you. He wants lots of interaction with you. He needs to use your bathroom. He wants to sit around your table. He wants to become familiar with you. The gospel is this. God came to our world so that he could reach out to us and so that we could watch him closely. So that we could learn to live and love like him. You know, if you and I went to a movie, let's say we all go to see Star Wars, and as we're there in the theater, George Lucas shows up. Like, what do you think might happen? Like, first of all, people would be like losing their ma- minds about it, I bet. I'm sure people would pull out cameras and want a selfie with him. They might ask for an autograph. I'm sure there would be those who've said, Thank you for changing my life by creating Star Wars, right? We would recognize him. But well, when John says Jesus came to the world, the world he created, he came to the very people who were like his flesh and blood, it says that they didn't recognize him. I mean, can you imagine that? Well, the word they, they did not recognize him is really an idiom that should be better translated, they rejected him. Can you relate with that? I mean, in John, we're going to encounter a lot of people who really understood Jesus' identity They just rejected surrendering their life to him as Lord and Savior. I mean, mentally understanding who Jesus is is much different than truly embracing him and accepting him for who he is. And John makes a powerful promise. He says to those who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. That's an entirely new status. I love what John does in these first 18 verses. He starts by describing Jesus as being with God. And that withness, it speaks of intimacy. It speaks of of deep connection, of a beloved relationship. And then what he does is he says, when we receive and believe in Jesus, we're with God. It's the same idea that the relationship that Jesus has with God, you and I get to participate in because of what Jesus does for us. Tim Keller says this, he says, the father is ravished with the son. The father is amazed with the son. The father pours out his glory, his joy, his communication into the heart of the son. And then the Bible has the audacity to say that if you receive Jesus as savior, your sins are wiped away. You're brought into the family. And then you and I are sons and daughters of the father. I mean, that's a powerful transformation. Formation. And John says, it's not about ancestry. It's not about effort. It's about receiving and believing Jesus for who he is. While God is the creator of all people, he is only the father of those who receive and believe in who Jesus is. Receiving Jesus is means taking Jesus into your life for who he is. It's not a, uh, a, just a peaceful coexistence like, sure, Jesus, you can sleep in the room, but don't make a mess and don't turn your music up too loud. That's not what we're talking about when we say receive Jesus. But instead, receiving Jesus means taking him into your life, your home, your school, your work, your marriage, your dreams for who he is. He's savior, he's leader. He's provider, he's counselor, he's protector, he's authority. He's also king. Believing? Well, believing is more than just some intellectual assent to the truth of who Jesus is. But instead, it's being satisfied with Jesus and also being surrendered to him. And you and I cannot produce spiritual rebirth in our lives or in any human life by any human way. Only God can accomplish it. And we'll see that very powerfully in an encounter that Jesus has with a guy named Nicodemus coming up in chapter three. But I want you to hear this description of of what this new reality looks like when you and I decide to receive and believe in who Jesus is. Listen how the message translates this in Titus chapter three, verse three through seven. It says, it was not so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn. We were dupes of sin. We were ordered every way, which way by our glands. We were going around with a chip on our shoulder. We were hated and we were hating back. But when God, our kind and loving Savior God, stepped in, he saved us from all that. It was all his doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath and we came out of it new people, washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior Jesus poured out his new life so generously and God's gift has rest, uh, restored our relationship with Him and given us back our lives. And there's more life to come, an eternity of life. And you can count on this. Jesus became one of us so that He could bring us to God. God came not to just show us grace, but to give us grace. But you and I must receive it and believe in who Jesus is. He showed up and displayed God's character. Full of grace and truth is how John describes it. That's another major theme that we'll see throughout the gospel of John. And it proves who Jesus truly is. The word made flesh is how John describes it. It's God's self-expression, the living revealer of God, God's voice in the world. And God, or John uses this idea of grace and truth, but the word grace only shows up four times in the gospel of John. It's all right here in these first 18 verses. The word uh, truth shows up 25 times. It's as if if John is saying that that Jesus truly is God's son, that, that God's character is trustworthy and true. You can count on it. You know, the Old Testament described God's character as unfailing in love and faithful. And those two concepts are the same words translated full of grace and truth. John is saying that God is eternal. His character has never changed and it never will. And Jesus reflects this character up close and personal to us here on earth to confirm and affirm this to us. And it leads us to another theme, and that's the theme of glory. Listen to verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. We have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God became flesh so that we could see His glory. The other three gospel accounts speak of the glory of Jesus in God when they speak of Jesus as risen Lord or as the returning king. But John speaks of the glory of God in the everyday earthly life of Jesus so that you and I could see it now, so that we could respond to it now. He takes this idea of glory that's found in the Old Testament that was restricted to two places, the tabernacle or the temple. It says, when Jesus came, he has shown us the glory of God. It's no longer restricted to those places that the glory of God's revealed in Jesus to everyone and for everyone. And when we feel God's presence in a tangible way and we see his glory, I think we should shout glory. That reminds me of a friend of mine named Bobby. Bobby and I grew up together. He's older than I am, but Bobby loved Southern gospel quartets and he would go to all kinds of Southern gospel concerts. In fact, when Bobby wasn't going to a Southern gospel concert, he was at the bar because he was an alcoholic. In fact, Bobby went to many Southern gospel quartet concerts, inebriated. And he would listen to the songs over and over. He knew them by heart, but the truth of those words had never seemed to penetrate Bobby's heart until one new year's eve when he was actually at a southern gospel quartet concert and for whatever reason in that moment though he had heard those songs for years in that moment something started to just destroy the calloused shell around Bobby's heart and he made a a new year's resolution that night that he was never going to take a drop of alcohol into his body ever again until the day Bobby Carpenter died he never did And every time Bobby was at another Southern Gospel Quartet concert or any time he showed up at church or was in a worship service, when he felt God's spirit moving in him, when he saw the glory of God, he would shout at the loudest voice, glory, glory. I think that's what happens when you and I catch a glimpse of the glory of God. When we do, it should change who we are. And that's why God sent himself wrapped in human flesh so that we could see, taste, touch, feel his glory and that it would change us. You know, the biggest word that John chooses to use to speak of who Jesus is is a three-letter word. And it's a word that we have seen all along. It's the word God. Jesus is God. That's the simple message of the verse, 18 verses. This is how John begins the prologue. It's how he ends the prologue. Jesus is God. If Jesus is the word of God, he is God, then he's the only one who's able to make God known to us. The rest of the gospel is just going to flow out of this essential truth. Rudolf Bultmann put it this way. He says the Bible and John is a repository of God's disclosure of himself to human witnesses and recipients. Little can be learned about God without this special revelation to us. His special revelation to us. John insists that the revelation of God comes at its highest and clearest form only in Jesus Christ. That's why we're spending this entire year going through the book of John. We want to see how Jesus lived and we want to see how he loved because it reflects the heart of God. And that's what we're called to, to do the same. And we chose the gospel of John because John is an eyewitness. He was with Jesus everywhere he went. He was up close and personal to Jesus. That's how he begins his epistle. First John chapter one, verse one, he says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and even touched with our hands. This is what we proclaim, the very word of life. This life appeared and we've seen it. We testified to it. we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim it to you that we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. You see, John was not just an eyewitness. I think you can make a good case that John was the best friend of Jesus. All throughout the Gospel of John, John identifies himself, not by name, but by this statement, the disciple who Jesus loved. Now, when I've read that, I've kind of thought it was a little boastful. I mean, who's John to, to say that he's the favorite disciple, right? But when Jesus is dying on the cross, he's about ready to take his last breath. He sees his mother watching him go through suffering, and he wants someone to care for her. He chooses John. I think you can make a case that there's nobody here on earth that knew Jesus better than John. And so in these opening verses, John makes a very powerful declaration, some astonishing claims about his best friend. And I think that forces you and me to consider what John has to say about this man named Jesus and to answer some questions that, that reflect our decision to accept this or not. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise your hand to the answer to these questions, but I think we all need to wrestle with them as we close this morning. So let me ask you first of all this. Are you finding meaning and purpose in life in Jesus? Friends, Jesus came to this earth to be more important to your life than just one, and a couple minute, one hour and a couple of minutes of how you spend your Sunday morning. Jesus has to be the reason that you get out of bed, that you go to work, that you love your kids, that you lead others. So center your life on Jesus. The second question is this, are you trusting Jesus for direction and guidance in your life? Jesus is more than just a good teacher full of wisdom. He's the source of absolute truth. And he must become your leader, your director, your master, your Lord. So surrender your life to Jesus. The third question is this, are you receiving and believing Jesus for who he is? Accepting Jesus for who he is and what he's done is how he brings you to God through his death and resurrection. It's what recreates you into the life that God intended you to have from the very beginning. So place your faith in Jesus as Savior. It goes on though, are you experiencing the the presence and grace of God in your daily life see Jesus didn't come just to be your neighbor he came to reside actually in you so that you can experience the presence and power of God living in your life now and forever and so spend time with Jesus daily read the Bible daily pray daily obey what he reveals to you as you hear from him and share it with somebody else finally, are you growing closer to God because of the relationship you have with Jesus? Jesus reveals God to us and he reconciles us to God. John 14, seven says, if you really know me, Jesus says, then you will know my father as well. So open up your life to Jesus more and more and join him in loving and serving others. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for not making this a childish guessing game. Like, I'm God and, and try to figure out who I am. You've revealed yourself through creation. I mean, just the powerful display of, of lightning and thunder over the past couple of days shows us that you're a powerful God and, and that you are supreme. And God, you providing rain shows us that you'll give good gifts to us when we need them. But God, you didn't just leave it up to creation to speak and share who you are. You gave us your word and we can read from Genesis to Revelation, and we can see your heart revealed as you interact with people, as you express your love in tangible ways to them. But you didn't just leave it up to those written words. You actually wrapped yourself in human flesh and came to our world, lived just like us, so that we could understand your heart. And so that you, through Jesus, could restore the relationship you want to have with us. So God, I pray that we wouldn't just shrug our shoulders and say, isn't that nice? I pray that we would start to center our life on Jesus, who you gave to us to be a cornerstone, who you gave to us to be the light of the world, who you gave to be the way, the truth, the life. And God, we would center our life on him and begin to reflect his character in our own life. And God, I pray that the world would start to see you in us because they see Jesus in us. And that would change our families, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our cities, this world, God. God, I pray that you'd receive all the glory for everything you do in and through us. And this we pray through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You know, as we leave here today, a couple of uh, maybe action steps. And the first would be this. As you leave today, if you didn't get one last week, we have these bookmarks. And these bookmarks are going to be given out every time we start a new section of the book of John. And they just have a reading plan, like week one, two, three, four, five, six. And uh, last week, we asked you to read the entire book of John. This week, we're only asking you to read 18 ch- verses. 18 verses. The ones we've looked at here today. Here's what we're going to do each week. We're going to ask you for the next... Uh, Six days between now and next Sunday, every day to read what we just studied this morning. So John 1, 1 through 18. And on the back of the bookmark are six, uh, actually nine questions. And these questions just help you kind of process what we're looking at and what Jesus means in this. We wanted to just kind of marinate in our hearts so that we could become more and more like Jesus, the way he lived and loved. So if you don't have one of these bookmarks, pick one up as you leave. Now, as you read through these 18 verses, you're going to notice I skipped over some of the references that speak about John the Baptist. That's because next week, our our next sermon is about John the Baptist and this messenger of hope. And so come back next week to hear about that. You might want to write down the answers to these questions in your journal. If you don't have one of those, pick one up as you leave. You might wanna share those with your spouse or talk about them as a family at dinner or talk with a coworker, use them in your small group. They're great questions for you to just continue to process the truth about Jesus, okay? Second action step is this. A lot of our ministries kick off for their new year this week, like our men's and women's Bible studies, our youth group kicks off Wednesday night, support groups tomorrow night, Monday night. We have also all kinds of small groups launching again. Don't miss out on this chance to kind of jump into the life of our church. You can find out all of the information, time, dates, locations at cccgo.com slash events. All right, and uh, finally, maybe that center question is one that we should all just ponder a little bit more before we leave today. I don't know where you're at. To receive and believe in Jesus is really the game changer. And for some of you, you sit here and today might be the first time you've ever heard the gospel or it might be the hundredth time you've ever heard the gospel, but the Holy Spirit is trying to chisel away at your hard heart. I just want to encourage you, don't leave here today without taking a step toward Jesus. Pursue him this entire year, but start today. If you need to talk to somebody, myself, some of my teammates will be right up here in front. We'll stay here all afternoon if we need to, to help you Figure out how to take this next step with Jesus. Or or just stay right where you're seated. Our care team will come to you. That's, That's what we would love to do, to pray with you, come alongside with you. For many of us, we've received Jesus. We believe in his name. We just gotta continue to act like it. We gotta continue to live like it. And so I would encourage you to begin every day with a simple prayer. Help me know you more and more today, Jesus, in my life. Help me to live more like you. Help me to love more like you. I know for me, that's a tall order to keep, keep letting the Holy Spirit work in my heart. Maybe I'm alone. If not, I pray that you'll join us on this journey of learning to live and love like Jesus. And I hope to see you next week. Have a great Sunday.